You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Okay, sorry. I just started recording that um, because I remembered I could do it to the cloud and I'm an idiot, but it's fine. I'm going to cut all this out. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie. And I'm Spencer. And today we are joined by this super cool new friend that we have made and have already been chatting with. Beth, it's pronounced Dem, right? No, it's Demi like Demi Lovato. (gasps) Wow, I didn't get that right. Um, But it's Beth Dem, everybody. Welcome Beth (laughs) Dem. It's still Demi. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, like Demi. Demi, oh my God. (laughs) Anyways, friends, it's all right. It's late-ish. It's not that late, but I'm tired. It's We're all late tired. on the East Coast, if that makes you feel yeah, better. It's late for you. It's but- late somewhere. Yeah, I'm leaving this all in friends because we all mess up and we're all imperfect. But we all, the Lord still loves us and it's fine and it's and, great. And um, if you're new to our show, then this is a great introduction because we're just real. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, Beth is super cool because she is a second career UMC pastor. And you know what we always say if you deconstruct, you'll probably be Methodist if you go back. That's right. And she's a co-host of the Discovering Our Scars podcast, a fellow podcasting homie. Right. Welcome, and, Beth. And I'm a fan of y'all's podcast. I actually listen to it most weeks. So <laughs> yeah, we love that. Well, I'm honored and uh, embarrassed. It's fine. <laughs> As uh, portrayed by this introduction, it's fine. <laughs> Beth, uh, have you ever had people come on your podcast that tell you they listen weekly? How does that feel? <laughs> it is. It's sort of. Um, it's sort of jarring because you guys know when you're recording, it just feels like it's just the two of you or the three of you or however many. Mm-hmm. And then when you realize, oh, other people heard that whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. And that's the purpose I did it for was so other people would listen. It, it does. Yeah. It'll get you. But, but yeah. did you, when Josie and I started, you know, we were like, we want other people to listen, but they won't. And now that yeah. people like tell us they listen, we're like, what That's or we weird. see like our numbers on the charts and we're just like oh my god i can't i can't if more than five people are listening i just can't think about it. i can't think about it but we're glad you're listening everybody we're glad you're here with uh, listening in on a conversation fly on the wall with our friend beth who will now tell us her life story <laughs> <laughs> well i'm older than both of you so it's a much longer life story no um I mean, the long and short of it is I'm, you know, married. I got a couple of kids and I was a lawyer and was uh, actually decided to stay home after my second child came home. Both my kids are adopted from Russia. And so we brought our daughter home and things just worked out that I needed to stay home and always thought that I would go back to practicing law. And then I had a pastor do a really rude thing and introduce me to Wesley's covenant prayer. You guys are good Methodists, so maybe mm. you know this prayer. It's actually I'm not that our, good of a Methodist, but I do know that. <laughs> it's in our hymnal, uh, which is this book that has songs and other things in it. And so the Wesley Covenant prayer basically is like, do with me what you will, God. Like I'm just gonna make myself available. And um in the course of praying that really faithfully, I realized that I was not going to go back to being a lawyer full-time. So I keep my license. I can I'm still licensed to practice law in Florida, but uh I only do it pro bono. If somebody really needs me. 
because now I work full time as a United Methodist pastor. I just think that's so badass. It's fine. I'm it's so like jealous. really just like uh like living out your calling right there. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah. my parents always said that I should have been a lawyer because I like to argue and I like to fight. It's and part of it. And then I said, oh, well, I don't know. I don't like school. I mean, mm. that's not true. I love school, but law school just doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. Well, having done law school and seminary, I will say that uh, seminary is more reading and law mm-hmm. school is more arguing. So hmm. pick your poison. Well, dang it. <laughs> I'm an art history major, so or my art history. I'm doing my master's in art history, so I picked reading, Ooh. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and me every couple of weeks having an existential crisis of if I should go to seminary. I don't know. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of reading, but it's such good reading. And it's reading that makes you think. And it's sometimes it's reading that really really aggravates it's really really aggravating i i always just remind myself too that there's no like you know we get caught up in this like race of like you have to finish in a certain time mm-hmm. but truly like i really want to like kind of go for myself and so i'm like well there's no race like it could take me a long time but at least i did it you know right i agree and here's my thing about seminary though that you can debunk for me Uh, Or not, I might be right. But I just feel like sometimes, maybe it depends on the seminary too. I'm like, I feel like I just wouldn't like some of the people that go to seminary. I like plenty of people that I know that go to seminary, but then I hear them talk about certain, especially certain white men. (laughs) And I'm just like, ooh, I I feel like I would just get into fistfights all the time over people trying to tell me what to do. Oh, well, you wouldn't because you would be like, clearly I could beat them up. So I'm going to let that go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, there are definitely people probably in every seminary that are aggravating, but that isn't that true everywhere we go. I, I mean, is there right. any space you have where you're like, yeah. there are no annoying white men here. Like they're everywhere. <sighs> yeah. Unfortunately. I live with one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, mine's not annoying to yeah. me, but probably yes. other people. Yeah, exactly. Mine is annoying to me and I still keep them around. So right. <laughs> He's useful. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I know that you said, you know, praying the prayer faithfully, but like, what did you have kind of like this, like aha moment or when they're like yeah. conversations or you really just woke up and said, I'm going to do it. No, no, no. It's, yeah. It's a whole <laughs> process, right. That happens because you have to, I mean, maybe for some people it's really that clear, but for me, it wasn't that clear at all. And I, so what happened is, uh, I was praying the Wesley covenant prayer and then I was attending a pretty big United Methodist church, big for where we are. It was one of those churches that has like, I don't know, 800 people in worship every Sunday. Holy shit. That's huge. It's big. Yeah. It's much bigger than a lot of United Methodist churches. And, um, our director of children's ministries left and we couldn't find a replacement. And we had this whole search committee and they searched for months and months and everything kept falling through. Meanwhile, my friends were on staff in children's ministry and they were like drowning in administrative work. And I was like, I can do administrative work in my sleep. No problem. I'll come and do this and fill in until we find somebody. And in the process of doing that, I taught third grade Bible basics because 
I think it's a universal thing in Method United Methodist Churches that we mm-hmm. give Bibles to third graders. Seems yep. to be like a kind of standard thing. It's like, didn't we just do that a few weeks ago? Yeah, I don't have so third was... graders, so I don't know. I really don't know no. anything about the Methodist. <laughs> yeah. I should. I I work for this church, but anyways. <laughs> so I was teaching that class, and I had a parent come up to me and say, "I'm really embarrassed to admit this, but I need that Bible basics class that you're teaching the third graders." And I was like, "Oh, don't be embarrassed. Yeah, of course, you know." And it kind of clued me into. The fact that I I had been embarrassed for a long time in church because I grew up in church. I didn't grow up in the Methodist church. I grew up in the ELCA, which is a Lutheran church, but but I didn't know the Bible very well. And I didn't really want to know. I had a lot of... uh, had a lot of reasons to not really get into the Bible, including having grown up in the Bible belt. And I thought, Oh, if I do, if I really dig into the Bible, I'm going to meet a God who I don't know and who I don't relate to. So I really put it off for a long time. And then ultimately got very curious about what the Bible said and dove into it. So when the parents said that to me, it prompted me to create a workshop for adults where I do like a Bible basic. So I call it Bible 100. It takes a hundred minutes and I do the whole Bible Genesis to revelation. And I designed it to be a two hour workshop because no parents, no adults were going to commit to coming week after week for anything at that point. Like life is Mm -hmm. already so full. Nobody needed a whole nother commitment. So I was teaching that class in, um, in another city. I went to another church in another city and was doing it. And the, the way I was kind of doing it at the time is like, I would do the Bible basic, or I called it Bible 100. So I would do my Bible 100 workshop, like on a Friday night. And on Saturday, we would do a women's retreat. And, uh, cause it was kind of easier for churches if I could kind of package it that way. So I was doing a women's retreat and an associate pastor came up to me and said, you have a gift for preaching. And I said, no, I wasn't preaching. I was talking. And she said, no, no, you were preaching. And have you ever thought about whether or not you're called to ministry? And I was like, yeah, I've thought about it. God and I have talked about it a lot. And I just know that I'm not supposed to go to seminary. I just, I just, I, it just, I can feel it that it's, ugh, I don't want to be graded. I don't want to do that. <laughs> And I have teenagers and I, you know, you can't go to seminary when you have teenagers. It's like a whole thing. And she was like, well, I'm still in seminary and let me introduce you to my teenage daughter. <laughs> right. So totally Dang like burn, yeah, eliminated <laughs> my excuses, which then led to a whole bunch more conversations and ultimately led to me realizing that although I had been praying the covenant prayer very faithfully, I was saying, I'll do anything you want, God, except go to seminary because I don't want to be graded. Um, which is related to a whole bunch of, you know, issues that had to be unpacked. So unpacked all that, talked to my pastor, did all the Methodist steps. There's lots of them. You know, you have to be approved by your local church. You have to meet with your pastor. We had to do two books together. I had to go to DCOM, blah, 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 did all that. So at this point I am, at this point, as of today, I am like, what am I five years into this process? I think. And I have a I have my MDiv and I am a provisional elder, which means I'm not yet ordained, but hopefully we'll be in a couple of years. I know how that goes. Yeah. Lots of people, not lots, two people at my church are going through that process, but listeners, the Methodists are very into their methods. Let me tell you, they got a rule book. (laughs) They got, there's a lot. Whereas I grew up Pentecostal and there's no rules for anything. You just kind (laughs) of go for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, if the spirit moves, right? The spirit will whip you. Mm, yeah. The spirit moves to some crazy places, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it honestly is something like that's like wild to think about because um, coming from like the like non-denominational like circle, mm-hmm. like they let anybody be a pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and like, and li- listen, you know, like I had, I had some pastors in my life that, you know, they got like a certificate, like, you know, yeah, the minimum. Mm-hmm. And then there's others that legit were like, oh no, like I have a bachelor's or I went on and I got like a master's, whether it was an MDiv or another kind of like practical theology thing. Um, but yeah, just the idea that like, they're literally kind of like no oversight to like the education in that yeah, kind of yeah. sense. Yeah. Where, you know, you could pick any, really, you could pick any kind of seminary you wanted. Like, obviously, you know, there are certain churches that are like, oh, like a lot of our pastors went to these couple. So maybe you should Mm -hmm. pick that one. But, you know, if you're just like, oh, I found this one, I'm going to go there. I got a scholarship. They're like, cool with us kind of thing. So I know just from talking to people at my work that like want to get into seminary, it's hard when where we live, there is no mm-hmm. like seminary near us and they're not really online options. So they're kind of like, don't know what I'm going to do right now. Yeah. I, well, I, so I live on, on the other side of the country from y'all cause I'm in Florida. And, yeah. um, for, so for me, like Duke would be the gold standard, like to be able to go mm-hmm. to Duke and have mm-hmm. gotten my master divinity that would have been amazing but i was not going to ask my family to move so that i could do this mm-hmm. yeah so um so there so i called duke and i also called emory because it's in atlanta which is like maybe five hours from me mm-hmm. and they were like no 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 we have nothing we don't we don't have enough online for you you can only do a master's of theological studies that's all we have you have mm-hmm. to do the right you have to come and do this in person and i was like okay and then COVID hit and now they have everything online. All of them do. <laughs> you can get yes. all of your degrees online now. Yes. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. so annoying. That's but, one of the, the few positives of COVID. Right. Yeah. And one thing that you, that folks may not know is that, so Emory, um, has, is, has a United Methodist approved seminary called Candler oh. School of Theology. Ooh. Yes. Yes. And for anyone who is a certified candidate, it's free. Hmm. not me googling what are the requirements right i actually just had a friend that graduated from candler like literally within the last couple months mm-hmm. <laughs> but i but he i he may have changed in seminary but when we were at uh, when we were in undergrad together he was a free methodist and oh, i do yeah. not know the difference truly ap is free methodist that, no, but we have United Methodists too. And so that's where I'm like, uh, the only real big know. difference I, I know of is that the United Methodist is a lot more like affirming and we're kind of open about that. Well, and I don't know. I don't on your, on your well, side yes, of the country. Yeah, sure. yes, here. Like, <laughs> really but yeah, yeah, I never met like a free Methodist church that was like publicly affirming. So that was like the only real difference. I don't know what the other differences are. If you know them, insight. <laughs> Yeah, it's a whole thing. It goes back to when people used to pay for pews. Wow. That's all I remember. Wow. It's like on like you would pay for your specific pew on a Sunday. Yeah, which comes to us from the from what is now the Episcopal Church. You know, you would you would be like, okay, well, our family paid to have to buy to have this pew built and installed. So this is where we sit on Sunday. Oh yeah. Hmm. So are they the free Methodists because their pews are free? Yeah nice wait really that's cool (laughs) that is definitely part of the history i'm sure that there is more to it but that's like the little nugget that's stuck in my brain from methodist history oh my gosh i appreciate that tidbit it's easy to remember yeah yeah if somebody came to me on a sunday and said hey josie this person is sitting in my pew i'd be like 
you don't have a pew these are my pews <laughs> i work here <laughs> like did you make it like yeah. right mm -hmm. i don't see your name on it yes i didn't see you, you cleaning to... up puke on it the other day when yeah. i was cleaning a puke off of it <laughs> yeah which you do have to be careful there are names on a lot of things and Methodist churches I have found, especially the small churches, like the ones that I've served. <laughs> oh yeah. Our stained glass windows have names on them. Yeah. It's pretty cute. But anyways, speaking I, of uh, progressiveness and the battle yeah. in the Methodists, yeah. what is being on the other side of the country? What has your experience been like with this huge, con not a controversy. It's like this, it's like an issue, right? Like the Methodists, yeah or kind of fighting about it. Yeah. I think that we've been fighting about it for a long time. And I just assumed that, um, that this was going to work itself out and mm -hmm. it's not mm -hmm. working itself out. Um, yeah. so hopefully in 2022, it will work itself out some way, somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, I can tell you what, I can tell you what I tell my, what I've told my little church. So I, my, I, I have a small precious church that I love. I've been only been serving there since July. Cause you know, we move every July. Um, and I have like 25 people in worship. So I'm a small church built mm -hmm. to be a small neighborhood church. That's our mission. And they're like, well, what will change for us if the global Methodist church becomes a thing? And I was like, nothing is going to change for you. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. what do you think? You know? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, they're there. So I'm completely affirming. I'm like, Oh, God calls you. God calls you. Love is love. God is love. So when two people are in love, I don't, I have, I have looked really hard for something in the Bible that would point to me that would tell me that you have to have gender difference in order for covenant love to exist. And I just don't see it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm affirming and my congregation knows that about me. Not all of them are right? Some of yeah. them are people of their time is kind mm -hmm. of the euphemistic way to say it. And I've tried to explain to them, like, it's just, you're just, do you really think that a gay pastor is going to want to come be your pastor? Like, I, I don't <laughs> know that a DS would send. I mean, if you, this is what I told them. I was like, okay. Think about all the people in the world and think about how many of them are LGBTQ, right? Plus not not a majority, a small minority, right? And then out of that number, how many of those people feel called to ministry? A smaller number. Mm -hmm. How many of those people feel called to ministry in the United Methodist <laughs> Church? An even smaller number, yep. right? So it's not like, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I just, it's what it's just such an issue that's not an issue. Yeah, and, and I yeah. think that's where, you know, we get the benefits of like, we have like districts for a reason yeah. and things like that, where exactly what you said, they- the district knows what your congregation is like. So right. they're not going to send people there that are not going to be serving to that community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully they care enough about their pastors to not send a pastor into an unsafe situation, including a situation that would be yeah. spiritually unsafe for them. Right. So yeah. mm -hmm. you don't send someone who needs to be in an affirming congregation to a non-affirming congregation. Cause that would, that would be destructive to them. Like, yeah, just don't do that. We shouldn't yeah. do that. Our, our yeah. pastor sent out, uh, they, she sends out like weekly, you know, like pastor emails and this past week, she said something pretty similar. Like, you know, people are talking about 
conference next year and if it'll happen like they still don't know and she literally was just like we're gonna stay united methodist like nothing's gonna change for us because you know like we kind of in a similar situation where our pastors are affirming there's people that are affirming there's other people just because of where the location and generational things that maybe are not so much but you know she's like this is what we believe. We're not going to leave the UMC. And, you know, there's other things that we like us as a community are actually focused more on. Right. Like we have like, like, what are we going to do about like racial injustice or like mm-hmm. poverty in our local community? Like that really matters to us. So that's what we're going to focus right. on. Right. And I'm like, yeah. Amen. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, church politics can get real nitty gritty, but I mean, did you, this is a funny question. We're kind of a deconstruction-y podcast, I guess, you know, deconstruction trash, as we call ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever go through a period of deconstruction? Not really. Not really. I mean, I've been through, I've been through a few rounds of needing church or not needing church, Mm -hmm. but I, but I, um, I think because of the church that I was raised in, I've always had this really healthy understanding that there's a difference between God and church. Mm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I can get frustrated with church, but still feel like that's something I can take to God. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I've definitely had moments where I've been like, is God real? Like, have I made this up? Is this just something that I need, you know, in my own, in my own self to be right and true. But but I'm, I have a tendency to have, uh, to kind of trust my own mystical experiences. And so I just kind of go back to that experience, you know, leg on the stool and go, well, no, cause I didn't manufacture that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of put that in my God bucket. So I haven't, I really haven't had that. Um, I really haven't had that deconstruction, but I have walked with some friends through it and it is, it is painful. And it is, I have observed in them that it is scary. Mm. you know, that it's scary to have that, uh, that kind of certainty that often leads to deconstruction to have that certainty taken away. Mm. I think can be, it's like having the rug pulled out from under you. Mm-hmm. That's Whereas funny. I'm Cause like, I feel like I'm similar to you because I never, ever doubted the existence yeah. of God. I definitely doubted some of the shit that people kept spewing out of their mouths though, you right. know, right, like, right, right. I don't know if God cares that you're gay. I really don't think that God does. I really don't think that God wants me to be subservient to men, actually. (laughs) So I would have needed to make me a lot different. Yeah. That was going to be a a disqualifier. So yeah. Yeah. Why did God make me a badass bitch if he didn't want me to be a badass bitch? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Spencer. I wish the world could have seen Spencer roll her eyes. I know. <laughs> I was more so rolling my eyes that I was like, I like one. I'm just jealous, but because of uh, the confidence. Two, I'm jealous because <laughs> my deconstruction is very different than Josie's in yeah. the sense of like I, I like very, very like painfully and privately like questioned like everything I believed while still like trying to like publicly portray myself as a Christian because of Mm -hmm. like social and like family expectations. And so like 
I just think that was like really like even when Josie and I started going to the UMC church that like kind of like started all this for us like I don't know if I would like consider that I was like believed it was again of my my husband and I were getting ready to get married and I wanted a Christian wedding. And so I asked my friend who's a pastor, like, will you marry us? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I think you should do some premarital. And I'm like, probably. So I just, you know, I was going to this church with a couple other friends and I did premarital there. And that church was a big mega church. That was wild. And again, my husband and I did it kind of just check the box. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, people were like, you know, you can read secular premarital stuff. It's okay. And we were like, (laughs) okay, cool. So then we actually got a book that we enjoyed and learned a lot of healthy things from. Um, and then, yeah, we started going to this UMC church and I told Josie, my husband literally saw it. We drove from that church and I sobbed in my car for like 20 minutes because my husband was like, that was weird. I don't know if I want to go back. And I was like, no, we have to go back. You don't understand. Like we have to go back. I Um, know. Jack was like, "Mm, I don't like people. I'm I'm never going to tell people like my problems in the middle of church. (laughs) He was not a fan of them being like, what are your prayers, your concerns? Let's pray for the community. He was like, no, thank you. You don't know we like uh, that right <laughs> and so yeah like started you know again we got married and then literally we got married on sunday i think california shut down on wednesday mm, and yeah we were in the middle of covid lockdown Truly. and i and again we were in a lot of political discourse social yeah. discourse just so much was happening that i again had just this very like painful like i'm like and at that point it was good because I didn't have to keep up a facade for anybody. Like I couldn't go to church, so I didn't have to pretend I was going or show up and yeah, I just had a really hard experience. And then through all of that, met a lot of really great people and had conversations with people that I had looked up to for a long time. And again, I think COVID gave a lot of people freedom to be like, what's really important to me. Mm -hmm. So people that I loved and cherished, uh, in ministry, like leaving churches because they were like my commitment to my queer brothers and sisters. I can't that like, that's a non-negotiable for me now. And things like that of just, yeah. To now, again, I'm back on staff at a church and I'm like, think my faith is in a way better place than probably ever in my life. And mm-hmm. yeah. So just like you, like Beth said, uh, just a very painful process for me and a lot of other people. So yeah, and I think that hearing about like these people, like our friends, our new friends, painful processes, even just like on this podcast has made me so much more of like an advocate for fucking up the system, you know, like, I don't know, I'm just more, this podcast has really led me down a rabbit hole of activism that I don't know if I'll ever come back from. But speaking of podcasts, Beth, tell us all about your podcast because you're already here. Yeah, well, I, um, so when I was on staff at uh, that church as a director of children's ministry, a coworker came in, we had a celebrate recovery program at that church, mm-hmm. which is um, like a Christian recovery program. And it, it skews, skews evangelical. Yeah. But that seems to work. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I had a coworker come in and say, um, since we're, a, since we're a CR church, I, I would like to do a CR step study. Would you be in it with me? We would need to meet once a week and we would work through the 12 steps. And I was like, yeah, sure. 
I'm an easy yes. I mean, that's the, the, I really do try to say yes anytime that I can. That's been my, 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 um, my mantra as a mom. And it's just, it just has kind of flowed into other parts of my life. Like I say yes when I can. So this group of, of five of us that were all, all women on staff, um, we did it. We did the step study. We did, we did these, uh, we worked the recovery steps, you know, our 12 steps together. So out of that process, one of uh, the folks who was in the step study, and it's a, it's all um, confidential, but I can tell you this because what came out of it is she wrote a book. <laughs> oh. So she reveals in there that she was in a step study and, and that I was in it with her. And uh, so she, what she, as she was doing her work, what she came to understand is that she had been sexually abused and had basically repressed it. Mm. So she wrote her memoir and it's called Dis- discovering my scars. And so she said, well, I think as part of like, I think once you write a book, you have to like do a podcast or something. So people will know about it. So will you do a podcast with me knowing that I'm an easy yes. So I was like, yes, sure. <laughs> so two and a half years later, we're still doing discovering our scars. So her book is discovering my scars and our podcast is discovering our scars. And we just try to have, um, like you guys do, we just try to have conversations. So it's never like interviews, but it's just conversations about things that we think, um, are powerful, but that we don't hear people talking about, you know? So we talk about, we talk about politics. We talk about racism. We, but we also talk about, you know, um, our, one of, one of our favorite phrases is don't shoot on me. Mm-hmm. Right? People are always, society's always shooting on us. This is what you should do. This is what you should wear. This is how you should talk. Um, so kind of unpacking all of that together. And mm. we, uh, so yeah, we're on all the podcast platforms. You heard it friends. You gotta go listen, but what are the, like, uh, so like, because, you know, you kind of started this coming out of like 12 steps, like what are kind of like guests do you have? Like, is it kind of just like anybody or is there like a certain kind of person? Like, well, it's usually us. It's usually just the two of us. We try to do, um, we try to limit guests to like every, about every fourth episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been, they've been all, we've had all sorts of guests on a lot of authors, which is interesting because it's a good excuse to be able to like send somebody an email and be like, Hey, I read your book and I have a podcast. Want to talk to me about it? They're much Mm -hmm. more willing to talk to you if they can go on a podcast. And if you're just Mm -hmm. like some random person who's read the book. Um, so we've, we've had some really interesting authors on there. We just interviewed, um, we just interviewed a woman who was, was basically groomed and preyed upon by her youth pastor. And then, didn't deal with it for 27 years and then was like driving down the road and had a breakdown and didn't know why, you know? Um, and so learned a lot from her about how, how predators do that, about how they'll groom victims. And it was one of those situations that is really icky in the church where Mm -hmm. when, when it came out that he had been in an inappropriate relationship with her from the time she was 16, it went on for five years that the, and the level of like psychological and physical and emotional abuse that happened, the church asked her not to come back and they threw him a party. You know, it's like Uh that, that, that icky, icky stuff that happens in churches that just, 
that will lead to deconstruction, right? If we're really yeah. worshiping the church instead of God. So, yeah. um, so that was interesting. We've had, um, we had our, our celebrate recovery, like our sponsor person, the person who led our step study, we had her on, mm-hmm. um, we had a divorce lawyer on, um, <gasps> yes. one of my, one of my friends, because I am all, you know, also a lawyer, um, we had her on because Stephanie, who I do the podcast with, she's like, I'm just so curious about divorce. And nobody wants to talk about divorce. So we just asked Christy, like, why do people get divorced? And why is it happening more during the pandemic? And who gets the money? And how does it get decided? And, you know, got to ask her all those good questions. So quick aside, what did she say? Like, what was the, like, number one reason? (laughs) Yeah, I I think, um, I think she would say money is a big reason, but that, but that during the pandemic, people kind of had a renewed sense of the value of their own life Mm -hmm. and their own agency. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, Oh, I don't have to spend these years with this person. I don't really connect with. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, she had, she had some tips like, you know, always have your own bank account and always know where the money is. And you know, things, things, people might already know it's like mm-hmm. i guess a similar reason to why everybody's quitting their jobs right now <laughs> yeah yeah and why people aren't settling for lower wages and why all these places have to bump it up right it's because we hmm, we have self forth hmm. right right Mm-mm. so in your work as a pastor i've been previously being a lawyer do you see like, do you see a lot of crossover? Like, yeah, things that you sure. learned in law that now, like, you realize, like, you use in ministry. But what kind of lawyer were you first off? Yeah. Well, um, I was a defense lawyer, so I defended folks who had insurance policies. So I defended my main practice areas were real estate agents. They would get sued when a, somebody bought a house and then realized it had termites or foundation issues or whatever. A lemon. Yeah. And I represented, um, dentists and dental malpractice cases. And I represented nursing homes in nursing home malpractice cases. There's a, uh, especially in Florida for a while, that was a really, that was a really niche market. Um, lots of nursing homes in Florida, lots of, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I was the defense lawyer, so I would just say my perspective was lots of plaintiffs firms wanting to, you know, get the nuisance value out of the suit. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was that kind of lawyer, but it was work that I really loved. Mm, well, yeah, that's important. Yeah. And I, I mean, it was always about money. I mean, once someone is injured or, or deceased, you know, you can't replace them, mm-hmm. um, so it was, it was always about how do you put a number on that? So it's hard. Yeah. Um, in terms of crossover between the two jobs, I think that it really helps to be a very good listener in both jobs. And it really helps if you can take a lot of information and synthesize it and share it. So mm. So, so like with the workshop that I do, where I do the whole Bible, you know, Genesis revelation, hundred minutes, I'm taking like a case file and I'm squeezing it down and I'm giving it to the jury, right. Mm. Cause I'm just going to take all this information and I'm going to give you the highlights, um, mm-hmm. in a way that is that you can, that you can process and retain. So I think those two skills are transferable probably more than anything. What I really get out of being a lawyer at this point is 
just the confidence that people can't jerk me around, you know? Yes. Like, <laughs> like, um, sometimes in churches, I will say this is not true about my current appointment, but I have been in churches where there was, well, we can't do that. We can't do that ministry because we have liability concerns. Right. And then I'm the lawyer in the room. Who's like, actually we have a fantastic <laughs> liability insurance policy through the conference. And so we don't actually need to be worried about liability, or if we are, these are the three steps we can do to kind of minimize that risk, to take away that excuse that yeah. sometimes mm -hmm. impedes ministry. Should we be concerned about kids mm -hmm. and jumpers at events? Oh man. Yes. Although we just did a fall festival and had a bounce house, but yeah. I All mean, right. Kids, great. I feel justified and not happy. Kids get super injured in yeah. Yeah. So I worked at a Christian summer camp and I always thought that this was wild that at the camp we had bounce houses that like, you know, we had like a certain number of kids were allowed on them, but we also had trampolines and they, the mm. trampolines were so strict that it can only be one kid at a time. Mm -hmm. And like, and you know, they had to have the net and like zipped mm. in. And I just remember the, like the like HR lady being like, yeah, our insurance policy, like, they didn't want to cover us because of the trampolines that we had to like, they had to like come out, inspect them. And like, we wow. had to sign this policy that like, if they find out someone got hurt because more than one person was on it, then like, they won't cover anything. Yeah. I was like, gee, is like all this for some trampolines? Like, do we need this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, did that girl. summer camp happen to have a zip line? No, it did have a high ropes course though. Yeah. Cause I'm like, what about the liability from that? Are you kidding me? People die on those. Yeah, they're not yeah. strapped in correctly. And that was yeah. my other thing of like, you know, we had high ropes course. We took kids boating, like inner tubes. Like I'm like, I feel like that has a lot of liability, but yeah. Something about those insurance companies. They're like, we'll cover kids on the boat, kids on the trampoline. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. Too much. I mean, I get it though. Um, when my cousins and I, when, when we would get a bounce house for somebody's birthday, we would flip that thing over. We would, <laughs> It was, it was pretty freaking insane the way Mike, so I get it. That's why I've always been like, no bounce houses at events. I know what these kids are capable of. I did it. Yeah. So I used to host, my husband, I used to host a big Easter party. That was kind of my, when I, before I was a pastor, like that was how I spent Easter. We would get up and go to church, but then we would come home and we would have a big party. Like some years we had like 50 kids plus their parents. We just invited everybody. Right. And we used to get bounce houses until two <laughs> years in a row, we had serious injuries. And then I was like, okay, we can't, oh, we can't no. do this anymore. We had one, one child who somehow there was a strap that was like hanging in the bounce house. And she almost got strangled. Like she came out and had <gasps> bruises, had a bruise, like from side to side on her neck. And then another year we had, um, we had twin, twin brothers who were, just horsing around. They were just playing in a bounce house like you do. And one broke the other's wrist <gasps> and like needed to have, he needed to have like emergency surgery. Like there were vascular Ew. issues. Like it was so, so <sighs> just want to say, Josie, you're right. Yes. Bounce houses are very dangerous. <laughs> Great. I like dunk tanks better anyway. They're more fun. Oh yeah. Are you willing to get in it? <laughs> yeah. I want to dress up like a scary clown next year for our Halloween carnival on, you know, 50 bucks. You can press a button. You can dump me. <laughs> I think that water is pretty cold. I don't yeah. know. I haven't but been willing to do it. Mainly because about I don't think I can climb back out, but. Oh, truly, truly. <laughs> but you know, gotta raise that money, you know, gotta, gotta get the money. <laughs> gotta pay those apportionments somehow. Oh um, yeah. Well, uh, not, not paying those, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay 
So this is a weird transition, but I wrote this question down at the beginning. So you yes. forget. So just backstory, guys, before we were recording, we were talking about Mormonism. That's how mm. that kind of found us was some Mormonism yeah. episodes. <laughs> and um, I was just having a conversation recently with um, the the youth director at the church I work at. Um, obviously, y'all should know by now. If you don't, um, I'm having a human in a couple months. I will give birth. Crazy, scary. Anyways, um, so we're talking about, you know, baptism and different traditions. And I again, I became a Christian in the non-denom. So they're like, we don't baptize infants. Methodists do to baptize mm, infants. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to get my infant baptized, like just because of, again, where I am with my beliefs, all that. And so we were talking about, you know, the belief of one baptism and Methodists really hold yes. that to be true. So if you were baptized Catholic, like Lutheran, like non-denom, check, yeah. Check. Mm-hmm. And so Mormonism came up and she was like, that one is kind of a gray area because there are mm. some pastors that are like, they will rebaptize Mormons. And there's others that are like, no, like it counts. And so, um, I wanted to know, like, kind of like what your thoughts were, what, if you had a certain stance on it, like, mm. yeah. Um, so we don't ever, ever, ever rebaptize in the United Methodist church. And that's a, a point of contention sometimes because, um, especially at least here in the South, I don't know how it is for you guys, but you know, folks will come from a reformed tradition. So they might be, have been Southern Baptist and they're used to being like, okay, I'm ready to make a commitment to this church. I want to, I want to get baptized. And it's like, well, no, we can't do that because you've already been baptized. And yeah. we believe that God is the main actor in baptism and God got it right the first time. So we don't need to like redo this. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> the Mormon baptism is not a Trinitarian baptism. It's not in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Therefore, that would not be a rebaptism. It would be being baptized for the very first time. So, wow. um, what is our baptism? Is it just like in the name of the Lord? Isn't it just Heavenly Father? Like- I think it's yeah, and and it's not. Um, yeah, it's not. It's it's not a Jesus baptism. Okay. Mm, and, and you know, but and also because they have such a different understanding of who Jesus is, mm-hmm. you know, that there's a heavenly father and a heavenly mother who exist in this other planetary system yeah. and that they created Jesus because, you know, marriage is between one man and one woman. And we know that because we have heavenly father and heavenly mother and they made Jesus and Jesus was the first one and he was the best. Like that's not our Jesus and that's not our God. So mm-hmm. it's the, the understanding of whatever names are used in that baptism would be so fundamentally different that we don't count it as a baptism. I think that it even says in our book of discipline that that's not rebaptism. I think it even goes that far. You're really dealing a big blow to the Mormons who say that they are also Christians. Well, it really confused me for a long time because at Christmas, if you want like old school, traditional church Christmas music, you listen to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, right? Yeah, yeah they're real good. Um, <laughs> That's a yeah, real good or, choir. Or the local Mormon church is hosting um, Messiah, and you and you go oh, to that. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. See, we don't have that many Mormons here. It's like, oh. we are getting a temple now in the town where I live, <gasps> which is a really are big gonna deal. Are you going to go? Oh, I'm totally going to go. Oh, yeah. I am so going before they consecrate that thing. Like, yep. let me in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I'm, I, I can't wait. I grew up in Mormon country, so it's like, you know, not Utah, but, you know, still 
Arizona's yeah. very Mormon country. <laughs> There's a lot of Mormons in Southern California. I always had Mormon friends in high school, and then I married an ex-Mormon. They're everywhere. I, they're attracted to me. I don't know what it is. I always had the little Mormon boys come to my house to they talk like, to me. They like oh. the West Coast. Um, I also, you know, I think it's funny because if you've, if you've never listened to the Book of Mormon, his dream is to go to Florida. But Oh, really? I really, I haven't listened to it. Yeah, literally. To. I'm yeah. No offense, but Florida? Hey, okay, so he's kind of making fun of him, but he's like, his dream is to go to Florida. And he's like, Orlando, I love you. Disney and SeaWorld and miniature golfing. And then they send him to Uganda. Ooh. Yes, a little different. So, yes. Little so, different. Not, yeah. not so much Disney World in Uganda. Yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> that is so interesting. The baptism thing. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah. good to know. I'm already baptized, I guess. Although, do Baptists really count? I'm maybe that's totally. gonna be it. Just kidding. <laughs> Baptists totally count. I, and Spencer, if you want me to give you the pitch for infant baptism, I will because I think that infant <gasps> baptism yeah, is okay. a really give us the pitch. beautiful. Okay, thing. I <laughs> I talk about this all the time. My mom listens every week, and she doesn't believe in this. So please do, mom. Ah, okay. Oh, wait. So for, again, hold on. I sorry. If you're new to our podcast, I just want to give the little insight. I was baptized as a teenager because the church I became a Christian in sold it as you had to be baptized for salvation. Mm -hmm. And I did it because I was terrified that I was going to die in a car accident and not go to heaven. And I had the mentality of my dad was baptized as a baby, as a Catholic. My mom was baptized as a Baptist when she was a teenager. And so I was like, I'll go to hell and I'll never be with my parents again. So I got Aww. baptized. <laughs> Sad, right? <laughs> a little bit of Mormon influence in there too. Yeah. Like, hmm, hmm. Okay. So infant baptism, we have examples in the Bible where in the, in the new Testament, of course, where, um, someone comes to faith like Lydia after she encounters Paul, right. And, and he tells her about Jesus and, and she wants to become part of this faith. Paul then goes and baptizes her and her household, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody, there was no age requirement. There was no, um, no need to, to be at an age of accountability or anything like that, that we have, um, that happens with the centurion too. Like there are these examples in the new Testament, but I would say that what is, what is special for you as a mom and for your husband as a dad, like for you as the parents to, to say, we want God to be active in this child's life. And we want, we want to acknowledge that prevenient grace is always going to be a part of this sweet one's life. And so we invite God to mark this moment with us. And that's, that's what baptism is that you're, I mean, some people will try to water it down and call it a baby dedication. I'm dedicating this baby to God. Mm -hmm. No, you're asking God. Yeah. You're asking God to like be present in this water, you know, mm -hmm. that this, that this, um, that, that whatever sinful aspects of human nature exist in this sweet one, right. That they won't get in the way of experiencing God's love and grace. And it's one of the things that we as Wesleyans, I think, I think people underestimate how great it is that we really believe in original righteousness. So like mm. your father having been baptized Catholic, um, or like for me growing up Lutheran, there's a lot of emphasis on original sin, right? Mm. That 
and then in chapter three of Genesis, you know, sin happened and that forever and ever now we've all been tainted by sin, which, which I'm not is, a fan of, <laughs> right? Which I think was really just a prehistorical way of trying to understand why, why we're crappy sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but as Wesleyans were like, no, no, the image of God is in us and mm-hmm. it can never be completely corrupted. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. there's always, always God is at work and always reaching out to us. And, and it's just a question of when we turn really, when we turn to God. And I think, Mm. I think that, I think God gets God's way. So I think that everybody turns to God in one way or another in their own way, but that's not, you know, that's maybe not the most popular view, but that is, that is my theology. That's what I have come to conclude, but I would, so I would just say infant baptism is a really, um, a really beautiful foundational act of God. And you are marking that in church. Mm. Boom. Cute. Mark your calendar, save the date. Wait, when's the date? I I love that. And if for some reason you decided not to have your baby baptized and the very worst thing happened, it wouldn't be a question of salvation. Amen. Evangelicals. Yeah. That's not get with it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, if you weren't baptized at my parents' church, by the time you were 13, you were a real big sinner. Like you could, you couldn't take communion if you weren't baptized in this church and it wasn't big. So it's not like you could, everybody knew your business. And I remember specifically rebelling and I was like, I don't feel old enough to make this really big decision that everybody's trying to make me make. So I'm going to wait. And it wasn't until I, I didn't get baptized until I was 17 because I was just like, well, now, now I'm pretty positive. Yeah. But I don't think you need to be positive, you know? Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like if you had to wait until you were positive, maybe nobody would ever be baptized, but, but, um, but for, so for us, like confirmation fills that role. Confirmation is, is Mm -hmm. a chance to affirm your own baptism. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you've been baptized, you, you're, you're in the cult. I mean, it's, it's, that's not what's happening. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can mark that. You can make that choice for yourself later. Absolutely. Yeah. Communion. Um, Josie, you know, you kind of nailed it with the, like, you can't take communion. That was another big thing too, of, uh, they never like explicitly said it, but it was always like very like guilt trippy of like, if you take communion and you're like, not in the right, like <gasps> yes heart or mind space that it was like, that was like one of the worst sins you could commit kind of thing. Yeah. If you've been a sinner and lately, so, you can't take communion. Yeah. And so it was one of those things of, who gets to take communion uh, in those churches then. Uh, okay. Apparently freaking everybody, but <laughs> and, me. Yeah. And, and it, and communion was something that like was so like, they really took seriously like the every time you you meet together like do it mm-hmm. so i took communion twice a week because i did it at church and then i did it at youth group yeah and there were so many nights like before i got baptized when like i would sit there and be like well i'm not baptized yet but i still feel like i should do this like i f- mm-hmm. and they had that internal struggle and then um when my parents like switched churches they were even they were more explicit of like we believe in two sacraments we believe in baptism and we believe in communion and this and and they would like explicitly say like communion is reserved for those that are part of like 
God's family. And like, I always thought that was really weird. And then Josie and I went to APU and APU practices an open table. And I was yeah, like, what does, does that mean? And they're like, an open table just means that anybody that feels called and willing to share in the Lord's supper is welcome, regardless of where they are in this so-called faith journey. Like mm-hmm. God wants everybody to come share a meal with him. And I just remember thinking like, wow, I think this is how it's supposed to be. Like I think mm, yeah. God really wants mm-hmm. everybody at his table. And so, um, which is yeah. part of the reason that the, the current debates in, in the denomination and the United Methodist church are so confusing to me because mm-hmm. I'm like, we are the people of an open table mm-hmm. and all you're trying to do is shut down this table right? Mm-hmm. No, this is, this is the work of God that that's, what's happening in this sacrament. The sacrament is like, you know, a, a means of grace. It's like a highway for the grace to travel on. And we're not denying that to anybody except mm. you kind of are right. Yep. So, well, yeah, it, I love the open table. Isn't mm-hmm. our, uh, I was going to say a catchphrase. I think that's wrong, but like, isn't our catchphrase, like, uh, open minds, open hearts, open doors, like, do you know what that I mean? Is, that is our slogan. It sure is. It so, sure is. Um, so yeah, I this is kind of a weird little argument we're having here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So my, my Bishop in Florida is, um, Ken Carter and he's the best Bishop. And, um, I'm sorry that you <laughs> don't get to have him as your Bishop because he's amazing. And he says, I think that what happened with that campaign that, you know, open hearts, open minds, open doors is that we wanted it to be true. And then people came and found out it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. Mm. I was like, yeah, I think it was aspirational. I don't think it was the, the description we thought it was. Mm-hmm. Well, here's to keeping the aspiration alive, my right. fellow Methodists. Yeah. I'm a bad one, but good to have a good one on our team now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've loved having you. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. It's been great. I'm I'm glad actually to see you on Zoom because now it'll be easier to keep your voices straight in my head. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Just know that this one is the one that curses all the time. This is the bad one right here. (laughs) She's rowdy. It's all right. Well... Anyways, Beth, plug your stuff. Tell us where the people can find you. Where's your church so they can come find you in person? <laughs> come find me on, in person at Gray Memorial United Methodist Church, which, folks, I recognize is the worst name ever for a church. That's in a, <laughs> to, and, like, all denominations are dying, but, like, to be Gray Memorial, and we're on <laughs> Old Bainbridge Road. But I'm oh, telling no. you, that name does mm. not reflect our sweet spirit <laughs> mm, mm. and who we are. Named after a circuit rider? Like, who even does that? Anyway, um, so I'm in Tallahassee, Florida, but you can find me online uh, at bethdemme.com, B-E-T-H-D-E-M-M-E.com, and you can get to pretty much everything from there. Sermons, and I do, like, a weekly devotion some weeks, and my podcast, <laughs> and, and all that stuff, so. A yeah. weekly devotion some weeks. Some weeks. <laughs> I some love weeks. it. <laughs> what i need i don't need i don't need that strong of a commitment you know i need consistency without guilt i was super faithful at it for about four years 
And then life oh, happened. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. why am I making myself do this? So four years is plenty of <laughs> right. weekly. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I got a couple hundred things out there at this point, y'all. Come on. Yeah. You can recycle. People won't notice. Yeah. Right. That's really true, actually. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, if you ever want to come back on, we would love to have you. Especially yeah. with this whole adoption thing. We're gonna have to connect on that. Oh That's, yeah, yeah. That I'd is love to happy to talk about it. Yeah. That like, is me. I, I wanna talk about adoption and then um lord willing conference happens in 2022 you should come on and we can do a debrief <gasps> yes we'll let's do, do that gossip. yeah Ooh. yeah yes. watch the live stream together <gasps> i would love that don't okay. even okay. start it it sounds so cheesy but like i always like want to watch it and my husband would be like why are you watching this it's by like, yourself? Right? It's like watching political, like the Congress exactly. situation. What's it exactly. called? It's, yeah, it's, it is. Like C-SPAN. <laughs> yeah. Yes, literally. Which I'm into C-SPAN, so I will be into the conference. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, Spencer, where can the people find us? They can find us on Instagram at Speaking in Church. They can find Josie at Josie Takes the World. They can find me at Spence Rose and send us an email at speakinginchurch at gmail.com. Still waiting for that Trumpy. Come on. <laughs> I want to talk to you. I just want to talk. I just want to talk. It's It'll be casual. Don't worry about it. But whatever. You're not listening. Please come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen, but I hope so. All right, friends. Well, stay woke or get woke. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Bye. Thanks for listening to my chaos. <laughs>